roughly the age of my Emory now and uh, got to know them and, and built a relationship with them over the years that has blossomed into one of um, my dearest friendships. One, Rayleigh and I consider them some of our, our closest friends and, uh, and faithful partners in ministry, even though we, we don't serve together, we, we serve the same kingdom together and the same God. And, uh, and he, they've been here before. He and Lauren both have been here before, and he shared with us on some Sunday nights in, in different ways. But this will be his first time to preach for us on a Sunday morning. I'm excited for that. He and his wife, Lauren, recently released a book called Not What You Think. And this is a book all about engaging the millennial generation with the scripture. And because we're studying in 2 Timothy, we were coming to the place in 2 Timothy chapter 3 where Paul writes to Timothy that the scripture is, is breathed out by God, that and it's profitable in so many different ways in our life. And I thought, well, who better to help speak about that than Michael? They've Not only have they written a book about it, about engaging with the Bible and how the Bible speaks today, but I know his heart. I know that this is something he believes in passionately. And so I had hit him up to try to find a date somewhere in this window of time that might fit. And it happened to be that today was the day. And so uh, we, we set things in motion and, and it all fell together. And so I'm excited. Earlier this morning, if you were getting ready and, and you were watching, they were on Fox and Friends on Fox News Channel, but they weren't really there. They taped that earlier. So they aren't that jet setters that they flew in from New York this morning. But uh, it's neat. The, and you, he might share a little bit of that with you that they have been on kind of a uh, a little bit of a, a book release tour, sharing the word about the book and all of that. But more than anything, I'm excited that he's going to come and he's going to preach the word to us today. And so would you join me in welcoming my dear friend, Michael McAfee. Thanks, man. Love you, bro. Well, good morning. We can do a little better than that. Good morning. Yeah, I am... Uh, I am absolutely thrilled, humbled, uh, completely intimidated to be here with you this morning uh, because of what your pastor, uh, Michael Butler, just mentioned. I, I hold uh, Michael and Rayleigh uh, in the highest regard. They have taught me, My, Michael's not just taught me the Bible. When I was a student, he taught me uh, how to play guitar and uh, how to uh, how I should date my wife, Lauren. I went to him constantly for advice and then ultimately get engaged and married. Uh, they did our marriage counseling. Butler preached our wedding. We, we absolutely love them and their, their sweet kids. Now we're in the adoption process and we are going to be having our own daughter soon. We've been in a process that's lasted many years, but we're recently matched. And so uh, my favorite thing that I get to tell about myself right now is that I am a dad, finally. And so I'm, uh, we're really excited. And uh, if and we'll be now looking to the butlers for parenting advice as well. So um, I've also got some family here. And so uh, I am the nephew of Brad and Kelly Wilkerson, who are a part of your faith family here. And my mother is here as well. So I sort of feel like almost um, Noah Westbrook. So Russell Westbrook is our star point guard for the Oklahoma City Thunder. He has a son, Noah, and if Russell Westbrook sort of let his kid into the game in Chesapeake Arena and let him play, and everyone was kind of looking, going, why is little three-year-old Noah Westbrook trying to run around the court with these athletes? It doesn't make any sense. Put Russ back in the game. 
that's sort of how I feel filling the pulpit of Michael Butler. They're like, I'm a little kid brother, you know, his child in the faith of sorts. Um, but it fits the context pretty well. We're studying 2 Timothy, and this was a book written by Paul, who is an elder, established man of God in the church, and he's writing to his child in the faith, Timothy, and encouraging Timothy to continue in the faith. And so uh, if I have uh, any Paul in my life, it would be Michael Butler. So if you would go ahead, open your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul has left Timothy. I I know if you've been around, uh, I hope many of you have been around for this series. If not, you can go back and listen to it in the FBC Chickasha podcast, but Michael uh, has kind of set up well the, the sermons that were in the book of, of 2 Timothy that we're studying together. It's this context where Paul has left behind Timothy in a church that he helped start and plant, and he's writing back to Timothy to encourage him to have steadfast faith even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of opposition that's coming his way. Because anytime we have opposition in our life, the tendency for us is to run from it, right? That if we have pain in our life, we often look at that pain and say, how can I get rid of that pain as quickly as possible? And that's human nature, right? You touch a hot kettle, a hot pot of coffee or something, it's hot, you want to jerk your hand back because it's not cool yet. Um, But what Paul's going to say in a sense to Timothy is, I'm calling you to strengthen your hands, to be someone who is willing to endure even hard things, even things that might be difficult, to keep the faith even in the midst of challenging circumstances, challenging situations. And what we know about this letter is this is likely the very last or one of the very last letters that Paul writes just before he, he is killed. You see, Paul, in, around the, between the year 64, 68 AD, is murdered by a brand new teenage emperor by the name of Nero. He's a Roman emperor. Paul's in prison in Rome. And this man, Nero, is horrible, especially to Christians. He would literally take Christians and light them on fire at night in order to light his garden that he might go through strolls. And Paul is in Rome as this new teenage emperor Nero is ruling. And he's writing to Timothy to say, hey, I know times are hard. And they're only going to get more hard, but maintain the faith. Continue to lean in. Even if it costs you something, it is worth following God. And so it's a great message for us today, is it not? That even as the sands of culture, the sands of our uh, society around us shift and change, that we are to be the people of God that maintain a faithful witness And so in 2 Timothy, I'm going to read the passage and then we'll study it together. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, says this, But as for you, Timothy, continue, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we give you praise. God, thank you for giving us this word. Thank you for not 
keeping yourself a mystery from us, but for revealing yourself in your holy and inspired word. I pray, Lord, that as we study this passage together, that you would help your living word come alive in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would convict us of our sin from your word, that you would open our eyes to see Jesus in the pages of this scripture. God, would you guide us by the power of your Holy Spirit to understand this word so that we might live a transformed life. Lord, I pray for this faith family that you would help solidify in them a desire for nothing but your word, that your scripture might reign supreme in their life and they might throw away every other idea and ideology for the sake of following you and following your word. We love you, Jesus, and we look for you to you alone for all things. And we pray all this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So we're going to look at a few things. Why is Scripture significant? be the first question we ask. Why is Scripture significant? Second, we'll ask, how does Scripture work practically? What does Paul say about how Scripture works in our life? And then finally, what does Scripture do? What does Scripture do? What's, what's the end result of Scripture working? So why is Scripture significant? How does Scripture work? And what does Scripture do? So we see here that Paul, again, as he's writing, he's writing. This is towards the end of his letter to his son in the faith, Timothy. And he's just talked about imposters and others that will seem like they're Christians but not. And he encourages him in verse 14. But as for you, as for you, Timothy... You are not to be like them, but you continue in what you have learned. Continue in the faith. Remain. Don't depart from it, but continue to hold fast to something that meant so much to you. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Paul's going to unpack a little bit right here, give us a glimpse into what happens when you come to faith in Christ. So many of you in here, I have no doubt, are Christians And there was a day when you heard the gospel message given to you and you learned it with your head and then you believed it with your heart and it resulted in a change in the way that you lived. And that regeneration, that transformation that came about in your life maybe months or years ago has changed the way that you live. And some of you are here today and you're not yet a Christian. Maybe you've never heard this gospel message. Maybe you're here today because you wanted to know what... Uh, You wanted to hear what it was that Christians believe. And very simply, Christians uh, believe that we were created to worship God with our life. That's what, that was the purpose of everything. Everything in this world, that if there's a God who made it, everything exists that it might reflect his glory. And humans in a unique way are called to do that. But the problem is, we don't. Rather than living our lives for God, we live our lives for ourselves We live our lives in such a way to make ourselves happy rather than trying to serve the God who created us to celebrate him, which ultimately is the best way to be happy, the most complete form of happiness. And so because of that, there's this separation between us and God. But Jesus Christ came to fill the gap, that he was born of a virgin, so he was perfectly, fully God and fully man, died in the cross in our place for our sin and rose from the dead so that anyone in here, anyone in this world can come to faith in him because it's not about how smart you are. It's not about how much money you have. It's not about where you come from on the socioeconomic scale. It's not about if you're American or African or Asian or any ethnicity. The beautiful message of Christianity is that the gospel is available for all people. And so Paul says, Timothy, 
This is the message that you have heard, that you're to turn from yourself and trust in this Jesus who died in your place. Remain in it, knowing, he says in verse 14, knowing from who you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. If you look back later or make a note, in 2 Timothy 1.5, he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So some of you have this story, like me. I, I have a grandmother, my grandmother Nita, who, who went to be with the Lord a couple years ago, uh, my mom's mom, and she was a Christian and passed her faith down to my mom. And my mom was a Christian and, and learned the Bible as a child. And then when I was a child, she passed that faith down to me. And some of you have grown up in a Christian home. You're not unlike Timothy, who's been, had the, the uh, teachings of Scripture, the faith in God that was passed down from generation to generation. And so Paul says, don't forget that. Hold on to that. Students, children, I would encourage you that your parents, if you're here today and you have the blessing of having parents that are, are here with you in church and they are loving you and teaching you the faith that you might recognize what a gift that is to you. That is God's grace in your life. And so that you might remain in it, that you might uh, not neglect their discipleship of you as they invest in you and teach you the teachings of Scripture because it is so important. And why is it important? Why is it so significant? Scripture is significant because of the source. The source of Scripture is what makes it significant. Look in verse 16. It says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God. And so the source is what makes it significant. Um, I, it, it's popular today, a term that's come of rise, especially around the 2016 presidential campaign, is the term fake news. Right? And so fake news is this idea of, it takes several different variants, actually, if you look up on Wikipedia, but the idea of something that's been misreported. And so there's a website called Snopes that is dedicated to trying to squelch out fake news. This entire website, the purpose is to say, we're going to identify fake news stories that aren't based in reality, but are fabricated truths, and we're going to expose them for the lie that they are. And so Snopes last month actually had a, an article that they wanted to expose as being fake news. The problem was they didn't realize the article was from the Babylon Bee. Now, if you're not familiar with the Babylon Bee, the Babylon Bee is a satirical website that uh, is, makes up random stories that are meant to be funny, meant to be satire, and so they will make up a fake news story that's meant to be funny. And so the news story was about um, Alexandria Ocero-Cortez. And it says that AOC, her nickname, appears on The Price is Right, guessing that everything is free. And so the, it showed a picture of her, and she's on The Price is Right, right there in the front row. And there's people on either side of her, one bid $900, one bid $1,200. And here is someone in the middle who self-describes herself as a democratic socialist, and it just says free across her little podium, right? Meant to be a joke, a play on her, her political view. Snopes didn't realize that. They didn't understand the source that they were quoting. And so in the same way for us, the significance of the Bible comes from its source. 
that the importance of the Bible is where is this story coming from? Because if it's a satirical website, if it's a website that's meant to be funny like the Babylon Bee or the Onion or others, it's not meant to be taken seriously. It's just meant to be amusing, to make you laugh. But if it's something that's meant to be taken more seriously, if it's a website or a book or a a paper or whatever that's meant to be taken more seriously, then you need to cite it, right? And in the same way, we want to know what is the source of the Bible? Where does the Bible come from? And Paul makes this incredible claim right here in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture, all of the sacred writings, he would call it in verse 15, Everything that we have, this word, throughout the New Testament just means Scripture. At this point, it would be Old Testament, but really it extends beyond that. We'll see all of Scripture is, he says in the ESV, breathed out by God. Or in many of your translations, it will say inspired, inspired by God. This is monumentally important because we see the source of the Scripture is God himself. This isn't just ideas from people who claim that they love God, right? And so Michael mentioned, Lauren and I just wrote a book. We did the best that we could to try and make a case, frame an argument for our generation and appeal to our peers of why they should read the Bible, even if they don't consider themselves to be religious. But in so doing, we're just writing words of what we've been informed by from God. So if you read that book, that's not of much use to you compared to reading this book. Because this book is coming from the very mouth of God. That word right there, inspired or breathed out, actually combines two words in the original language that are really interesting. Theos and pneuma. Pneuma is is spirit or breath or even like psyche or soul. It's the very like core of someone. It's often that same word used to describe the Holy Spirit himself. And theos, which just is God. So it's the breath of God. It's, it's the idea literally of the very breath that came out of God's lungs. That is what we have in the scripture. It is directly from the source. It's not secondhand as if through Uh, through Moses or through someone else, that God, when he writes, he is inspired in a special way people that have written down his words. And Paul is making the claim that all of those words are coming from the very mouth of God himself. Can you imagine how significant this is? I mean, think of your hero in life. If you could sit down for a meal with one person and just have a conversation with them directly, who would it be? And how much more would each of us love to be able to sit down with Jesus, right? And just have a conversation back and forth. That if I told you, hey, at lunch today, we're going to go have lunch. And if you'd like to come, I've got a friend, Jesus of Nazareth. He's going to be there. And you can have a conversation. Like, who's not going to take me up on that offer, right? We have those very words. God has a word for us. And if you want to hear God speak, open up your Bible. Because this is God's very word spoken to us. Paul says all scripture is breathed out by God. And so it is from this very mouth of God, that the very words of God, that scripture is significant. The source is God himself. And it's important that we hold to that because when we don't, things can fall apart. You remember back to the garden in Genesis 1 to 3 when everything was right. In Genesis 3... When the serpent comes and asks Eve, did God really say you, missed, you may not eat of the tree in the garden? 
Eve misquotes God and says, well, God said that we should not eat of the tree in the midst of the garden, neither shall we touch it lest we die. Well, Eve had heard from Adam, who was created, that when God gave that command, Eve had not yet been created. She's misquoting God because she's not getting it from the source. Adam didn't do a good job of passing to Eve the commands of God, and so she gets confused and ultimately falls into sin. So in the same way, people of God, we must know God's word. We must know God's word to know what he said because it's really easy for things to sound like they're biblical when they're not. You know, cleanliness is next to godliness. That's in Second Hesitations 3.14, right? Doesn't exist, right? So there are ways that we can think that things sound spiritual. They sound like they're right, and, and yet they don't come from the Bible. So we must be students of God's word. This is the source. This is the primary source that you want to study. Um, first, Second Peter one twenty one drives at this point as well. The Apostle Peter, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along. Jesus himself identifies David in the Old Testament as being inspired by God. When in Matthew 22, he says, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord and quotes the Bible? You know, one of the reasons why we cling so tightly to the Old Testament and to the entire Old and New Testament as scripture is because Jesus saw it this way. Jesus based his life on the Bible. And so you may say, hey, I'm good with Jesus, but I I don't read the Bible or I don't go to church that often or whatever. But that's not a logical argument because Jesus himself was committed to the church. Jesus himself was committed to the scriptures. Jesus quoted the scriptures about 20% of the time that he was speaking. He was constantly in the Bible. What would it be like for us? What What if this church was a people that was constantly quoting the Bible to one another in their conversation? How would that strengthen us as a body? How would that propel us to mission, to make us more intentional about sharing our faith if we went to the original source? And so Scripture has, there are many reasons to look at Scripture and to want to engage with it. It has withstood the test of time. I mean, this was 2,000 years ago that Paul wrote these words, and we're studying it today in Rome. What other book like this is studied all around the world today? In every single continent on the world, this book is being opened up and read and studied by people like you and me. This is crazy. You can't understand Western democracy or just the Western world without a basic understanding of this book. It is the bedrock by which so many of our freedoms, so many of our thoughts and philosophies and principles have given rise out of. You can't explain why we care for the poor or the downcast or the life in the womb or or anything without an understanding that we are created in the image of God. A Darwinistic evolutionary worldview doesn't lend itself to caring for others. It lends itself to survival of the fittest. And so all of these are good reasons, but it's not the most important reason to read the Word of God. The most important, the reason why it's significant is because of the source. Because it came from the mouth of God himself. Secondly, next question is, okay, but how then, how does it work? How does it work in our life? And Paul gives one of the answers to that. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. Here are the ways that it's profitable. For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So first, let's look at each of these, all four of these in part. First, that it is profitable for teaching. And in many ways, this teaching is foundational for the next three. Okay, so Paul will say this, this word is so important for teaching. 
It also could be translated for doctrine, like for what you believe to be true. A.W. Tozer said, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. The most important thing about you. Think about that. I mean, if we were to meet and you were to ask me to tell you about myself, I could tell you about my work. I could tell you about my wife, our adoption. But the most important thing I could tell you about myself is what I believe to be true about God. That God is Jesus. That Jesus Christ is Lord. That he rose from the dead. And, and I believe in him. I base my life on him. That that's the most important thing. And so all scripture is profitable first for teaching. That the word of God is historically reliable. That the word of God is emotionally satisfying to believe in and trust in. And that practically the word of God is dependable. This teaching, Paul would encourage Timothy to have sound doctrine earlier. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, encouraging Timothy to guard against a list of sins, concluding with anything else that is contrary to sound doctrine. And so if you as a church are going to be the people that God has called you to be in Chickasha, Oklahoma, you must cling to the teachings of Scripture. You must have sound doctrine. And not only for yourself, but for others. So not only today, but subsequent weeks, when you're listening in this moment on Sunday mornings at 1030 You're listening to the sermon being proclaimed. You know what you shouldn't do is listen just for yourself. Like you shouldn't be listening or taking notes or doing whatever you're doing just to be transformed in and for yourself. But you should be listening for your ability to teach others. Like you're being empowered here so that you can go out this week and teach others the faith. Like God has called us not to be disciples, but to go and make disciples. That we are sent out on a mission, that you are called here, you are placed here in Chickasha, in the surrounding areas, wherever you are from, so that you might be salt and light to this area, so that you can share with them the teachings, the truths that we find in God's word. So we can't have then God's word as one source among many, which is kind of our temptation. Like the temptation is to say, okay, God's word, the Bible, is going to be foundational, but I'm also going to have it as one of many things I'm looking to. So I'm going to look to uh, kind of wisdom of the world. There's some things I just know they work this way, or, you know, if Jesus were today, he'd probably say things differently this way or that. Um, It's easy to look to, you know, your, uh, to the news or to social media to help inform the way that you think, the way that you see the world. But if God's word is foundational, it's not just one of the walls in the building, then everything rises or falls on our belief and understanding of God's word. There are a thousand different philosophies, a thousand different kings and kingdoms that have come and gone, but God's word has reigned forever. And it will reign forever. There's only two things that will last into eternity. God's word and the souls of men and women. And so we want to be people, as Christians, we want to be the type of church that goes hard after both of these things. That loves God's word and and applies God's word to our hearts and lives, understands its teaching, and then uses that to go out and love people. That rather than trusting in other things, we want to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding, but in all of our ways acknowledge him and God will make our paths straight. So that's the first thing we see. Okay. Second, we see that it says that it is profitable for teaching, but it's also profitable for reproof or rebuke. What we see the second way that the Bible is used, how it works, is that it rebukes us in our sin. 
The word of God stings our sin. And so when, when we're kind of wandering, when we've gotten off the path and we read God's word, it should cut us to the core, right? In 2 Chronicles, uh, Josiah in verse 34, the, the law, the Torah has been rediscovered in the temple. The first five books of the Bible. And they bring it out and they read it and they are cut to the core. They've not been reading God's word. But all of a sudden they read the scriptures and they recognize that they have been living in sin. And so they repent and they say, we must, please let this word be known. It sort of catches them in themselves. You've had moments like this, right, where you're kind of caught in your sin. Um, I had a moment like this, had many moments like this, but one of them came when I was in at camp, when I was a student. I was a student at camp, and I had brought with me a friend who was a future uh, D1 athlete, was a massive 300-pound lineman that could crush me with his, like, right hand. I was a little, like, skinny wide receiver that never played in high school, um, but I was on the team, and that's what matters. So we went to camp, and there was one night, at the last night of camp every year, when uh, Butler and Chris Wall and their wives would take the seniors out to get some pancakes at IHOP, reminisce on their favorite days in the youth ministry. And it was during that time that my friend had a meltdown. And that he, uh, some things happened. He got mad and ended up punching a massive hole in the wall uh, in front of all of our like jop draws and wide eyes and uh, marched out. And I went to console him and tried to talk to him and encourage him and love on him and hey you can't you can't do that obviously right we're gonna someone's gonna have to pay for that we never went back to that camp by the way funny enough that was our last year and in my attempt to do that one thing led to another and we went from kind of restoring this brother and loving on him to as we were walking back we saw some golf carts that were left out with the keys in the ignition and for a junior in high school at 11 o'clock at camp, that is just, that is too much temptation not to give in. And so we, we fired up those golf carts and we were driving around and, and uh, we hadn't done it 10 minutes when we saw a couple of headlights coming around the corner. And I will never forget just standing in the presence of, of Michael Butler in that moment and, and feeling the wrath of Butler placed upon me, like knowing how I had let him down as one of his junior leaders, uh, and I'm trying to explain myself, no, we were, see, Myron had a, had a meltdown, and we were trying to love him, and we were, and it, it did not matter. None of my trying to self-justify myself mattered. Why? Because I was being reproofed, rebuked, even without words. Like, I knew what I had done was wrong, and in the same way, that's sort of how God's word works in our life. That when we read it, when we read it to really understand, not to justify ourselves, but to allow it to speak to us, we are caught. We are exposed in our sin. And so we're rebuked. But then, thankfully, praise God, he doesn't keep us there, but he moves on to correction. For correction. That then what ultimately happened was there was a correcting, right? That in that moment, Butler helped to sort of turn me back to say, hey, this isn't the right way to live you're to be in your cabin at curfew, but let me help turn you back and correct you and point you back in the right direction. And God's word ultimately does that, that praise God that it does not only cut to the heart of our sin, but it also leads us to the cross. 
It leads us to our Savior. It shows us that, that your sin deserves God's wrath. But Jesus ultimately, 2 Corinthians 5.21 would say that God made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so how does scripture work? It, it works by not only teaching us what's right, it not only rebukes us in our sin, but it also corrects us and it spiritually restores us. This word um, is only found one other time outside of the Bible, uh, once or twice, and this, this same word talks about how there was a revolt going on and in order to strengthen a wall, they went around to find the places where the wall had been cracked or broken and they went to restore it. They went to restore the wall so that it was strong and it could withstand some kind of an attack. That's what God's word does to us. It not only cuts us down, rebukes us in our sin, but it also restores us. It restores us to our relationship with Christ. And then finally, it says, all scriptures breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness, that ultimately it forms habits. That not only does it rebuke us in our sin, not only does it have foundational truth, not only does it spiritually restore us, but it creates in us a new habit. Psalm 1 would say, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. But the wicked are not so. But they are like chaff that the wind drives away. And so the wicked will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, and the way of the wicked will perish. What that psalm is driving at, the kind of opening psalm to the rest of the psalms, is that in contrast, you heard it, to the wicked and how they live, the righteous man or the blessed man delights in the law of the Lord. Delights in it. Here, it's not just reads it and doesn't like it but forces himself to, but it actually is delight. One of the ways that uh, Michael Butler has discipled me has been in the ways of coffee, right? That I started off like many of you, drinking the like, you know, white chocolate mocha with like extra sugar and everything. And like there's a little bit of coffee somewhere down there. But it's basically just a bunch of cream and sugar with like a splash of coffee, right? And over time, my taste buds have changed and adjusted so much so that now I only really enjoy like strong black coffee. And not even just, like I'm not a, I'm not a snob, but... I am like an elitist or like prefer a specific type of coffee that if I really am going to enjoy it, I just, I know what I like. I know what I like. Don't judge me. Um, And my tastes have changed over time because as I grew in my love and my appreciation for the taste of coffee, I didn't even want these other things anymore. And in the same way, this is this idea that as we engage in the Word of God, as we read God's Word, that it actually changes our desires. And so that we can, as it says in Psalm 1-2, but His delight is in the law of the Lord. So I want to encourage you today, if you're here and you're hearing this message on the importance of reading God's Word, the importance of meditating, it would say, on God's Word. Meditating meaning thinking about, filling our mind with Scripture, pouring over it, reading it slowly, maybe just reading a few verses, and you're sitting here going, man, I've, I know I'm supposed to do that, but I never can seem to form the habit. I know I'm supposed to get there, but, you know, it's, it's hard to read, 
right? It was a book written thousands of years ago in a different language, in a different place. Like, how am I in the world in 2019? Am I supposed to relate to this book? Well, the good news is you're not alone. I mean, we can all admit we've been there. Like, it's a struggle constantly to read God's Word, to get into it. But as you do it, your change, your, your desires change. In the same way many of you have seen it with musical instrument or with exercise, that as you do it, as you become uh, adequate at something, you enjoy it more and more. And so I'd encourage you to keep pressing on, not just in, yes, be a part of every Bible study that you can here at the church, but also in your quiet times at home, in your private lives. You have, you have a, the gift of if you are in here today and you speak real quick, how many of you speak English? English language speakers. Can I see a show of hands? Okay, that's sweet. Almost everyone. Perfect. If you speak the English language... Did you know you have over 200 different translations in the English language of the Bible you can choose from? 200. That is, there are thousands of languages that don't have a single verse. Languages that don't have John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And so not only that, even if you say reading is hard or you don't like reading, you have the YouVersion Bible app that you can push play, and it will read to you for free. Like, it's just available. You don't have to pay a dime. So take advantage of that. Like, watch as God will transform your heart. But why? I hope you're asking why. What, what would be the purpose of that? What is the result of this? Finally, it's the effect of Scripture. The effect of Scripture. We see why is Scripture significant? Because the source of Scripture is God himself. How does it work? It works in these four ways. And then what does Scripture do? The effect of Scripture, the result, is that in verse 17, that the man of God may be complete. The man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You know, Jesus has a reason for you being on earth today. That if you have breath in your lungs today, that God is not finished with you on this earth. And his desire for you is to be a part of his work in creation and his work in making disciples of all nations. And that if you are going to be the man or woman of God that is able to live out your God-given calling and desire, you will be able to do it because you have gone to the scripture. And you've been made complete. Then the same way that Jesus said, no servant is greater than his master, that he says in Luke 6, he talks about how a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. That if you want to be like Jesus, spend time in the book in the words that Jesus spent time in. That if you want to become, be, get to the place where you are thinking like God, spend time listening to God speak to you from his word. And the great thing is, is regardless of where you are on that spectrum, if you have never really been able to sit down and read the Bible for yourself before, or if you are, are a, 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 a Bible teacher of sorts, and you are leading Sunday school classes, and you are, you know, whatever it might be, that anything in between that we all are able to lean on one another. And so the best thing I could tell you is just to, to lean on this church, that you are in a place that loves God's word, that loves Jesus and wants to help you in your walk so that you might love God through his word. Because we don't idolize the Bible as if the, the words on the page are God, but we do understand that this is how God speaks to us. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees in John chapter 5 when he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it's the scriptures that point to me. 
That there's a way to look at the Bible simply as a, a rule book, a book of morality that we might master in order to feel good about ourselves. But ultimately what happens is in our honest moments, we feel defeated because we can't live up to the words on this page perfectly on our own. That sometimes it's tempting to just look at it as a book of inspiration and I'll kind of mine it for an inspirational quote here or there of how I'm going to live differently. But ultimately, if it, the Bible's just one wall of many in our house, the whole house is going to fall in because the Bible's the only thing that's going to withstand the test of time. The Bible has to be the foundation. That it's, it's tempting to begin to embrace the world's view that while there may be some good teaching of the Bible, it's mixed with error and ultimately most of it's probably just made up. But what we know, not just from the word of God itself, but ultimately from from historical evidence, relational evidence, and ultimately from what God says in his word is that we trust the scriptures because Jesus did. Because Jesus did. And so we have a desire for the scripture because of our desire to know and love Jesus. And then we will be equipped for every good work. You remember in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul wrote this, that it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourself, but it is a gift from God, not by works so that no one can, bo- can boast, so that we might walk out in our calling for the good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That ultimately the tasks that God has for you, you will need the Spirit of God and you will need the Word of God. And as the people of God, we can walk with each other in our calling so that we might fulfill the purpose that God has for us in this place, in this time. Until one day when we get to stand face to face with the word become flesh, Jesus himself. Because we will all face him. And on that day, the question will be, where was your faith? Was it in yourself? Was it in your ability to keep the law? Or was it in the word become flesh, Jesus himself, who fully and perfectly completed the law for us and hung on a cross in our place so that we could walk into the presence of God and eternally sing about the glories of who God is back to him from his word. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. And I want to encourage you that some of you may need to respond. Some of you may need to come and join the church. Some of you may want to come and have prayer or come to Christ for the first time. Uh, while the band sings and, uh, and Pastor Michael is up here, um, this will be a time for you. Before we get there, let me pray over you and over um, our time in the Word together. Let's pray. Our Father, we are humbled that you would speak to us from your Word, that we can look to you Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And that you don't look to us and say, try harder. You don't look to us and ask us to pull our act together. But you look to us in grace. Not because of us, but because of what Christ has done for us. And so in our response to that, I pray that you would give us such a love and a passion to know you. That in the same way that we have a love and a passion to know other things in this life, that you would give us a greater love, a greater desire for your word than anything else that this world has to offer. Any Netflix show we might binge, any sports team we might follow, any social media interests that we have, that greater than all of these, they would pale in comparison to our love and desire to know Jesus in his word. So we pray that you would come. We pray you would convict us of our sin. We pray, as it says here, that you would teach us, you'd rebuke us, you'd correct us, and that you'd form new habits in us as we grow in our love for you. 
We love you, Jesus, and pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and oh my soul, and worship his soul.